This episode of Small Town Horror is brought to you by HelloFresh. Please visit HelloFresh.com and use promo code STH to save $35 off your first week of deliveries. Now, admittedly, I haven't done a very good job of taking care of myself in the past. And even after Julie got me the hot plate and toaster oven, I didn't use them. I don't know how to cook, let alone how to shop. I mean, I live in a motel. What am I supposed to do with a lot of extra food? And that's where HelloFresh comes in. I don't have to worry about any of that. They send me everything I need from fresh meats and produce to spices and sauces. Seriously, fresh sourced meats and produce directly to the motel. If you've been following me on Twitter and Instagram, you've already seen the pics of the food I've made. I got chicken with orzo, creamy mushroom pork chops, my personal favorite, demi-glazed steak with sweet potatoes and green beans, all served on my good paper plates. It all comes with step-by-step instructions that even I can follow. Each meal is designed to be ready for your plate in 30 minutes, whether you're a professional chef or you're just trying to treat yourself better in the new year. There are even vegetarian options if meat isn't your thing. You can order three, four, or five different meals each week designed for either two or four people. I can't thank HelloFresh enough. Not only for sponsoring the podcast, but for actually getting good food into me for the first time in I don't even know how long. To get $35 off your first delivery, all you have to do is go to HelloFresh.com and enter promo code STH at checkout. That's HelloFresh.com. Every town has its stories, its secrets. What possible harm could come from sharing them? Hmm? This is Small Town Horror. My name is Ryan Jennings. Small Town Horror is a bi-weekly podcast documenting my return to Creighton, Minnesota, and my continuing search for answers. For more details, please listen to all previous episodes. Can you guess how my conversation with the police went? I didn't even want to go to him. Julie convinced me to play him the audio. Told me to remember what was important. I assumed they wouldn't do anything. But... Julie pointed out that if I didn't tell him, it'd make me look even guiltier. It's all about context, huh? Hello. Hello. See? Telemarketer. Do you still hear it? God damn it. How do these jackasses keep finding my number? Just hang up. People will get tired of it eventually. Sarah? Oh my god. Right, is that you? Is someone else there? Sarah, is, is that really you? Where are you? Are you okay? Ryan, are you there? Ryan! Do you still hear it? You son of a bitch, when I find you, I'm gonna... Sarah? Sarah! And exactly what I thought would happen did. The investigators asked if I'd been drinking. They wanted to come and search my room as if it were the scene of a crime. They wanted to know where I'd been, even where I was planning to go, who I was talking to. In the 
end, I didn't have any choice but to agree to having my phone records checked. It didn't matter. I barely ever used the thing. I've only had it for a month, but... Still, when you're the one who actually has to give up their privacy, even when you're innocent, that line, then you have nothing to worry about, it sounds pretty hollow. I'll add it to the long list of invasions I've felt lately. In the meantime, I needed to do something to keep myself busy. So I called the reporter, William. Admittedly, I wasn't in the best of moods and I'd been waiting for a long time for him to get back to me. I called him over. And over. and over until he finally answered Mr. Jennings where the f*** have you been? is that really how this relationship is going to exist? you're demanding my help and then acting like a twat all the while I don't know what that means it's not good I'm under some stress I understand that but directing your frustration at me won't help anything now, if you can't be a little more cordial and appreciative then perhaps it's my turn to end a call abruptly I'm sorry. But I got a call from Sarah. Good grief. Did you notify the police? Yeah. And now I have a desperate tone of voice while talking to you. How do you think that went? I'm sorry, I'm not sure what to say. I was hoping this call would be a bit more uplifting. Does that mean you found something? Perhaps. And that isn't my being coy, that is my actually not being certain of the information I've been looking into. For two weeks? What? No, I was working for two weeks, sending the occasional email to other journalists I know who might be of assistance. More journalists? That's how this works, Mr. Jennings. I'm not some magical repository of information that can just make things appear. I need help like anyone else. If you'd rather do this yourself... I'm sorry. Can we just start all this over? That would probably be for the best. Try to remember, Mr. Jennings, I'm on your side. But this isn't an exact science for me. What did you find? Right. I think that I might have found something connecting one of the cases I uncovered with your podcast. Connected how? Are you familiar with Taconite Harbor? Sounds familiar. Where is it? Uh, Minnesota. A few hours from you, in fact. Or, well, at least it used to be. There isn't much remaining of the place. It was once a rather large community off of Highway 61 near the town of Schroeder. It seems that in the early 1950s, the town experienced a bit of a financial boom when a company called Erie Mining started to process taconite in the area. Hence the name, I suppose. Because the area is so remote, they set up housing and facilities for employees to use off the clock. Sound familiar? Are you saying... I'm not saying anything, merely pointing out similarities. Besides, nothing nefarious ever happened there. You can find out all the information with a basic search. The town continued to grow until the 1980s when the demand for iron ore decreased. Since there were really no other options for employment in the area, residents had no choice but to pack up and leave. There are only a few remnants of the town still there, like a street lamp and a decrepit basketball court. I'm sorry, how is that connected to me? There is a reason it took me so long to get back in touch with you. Beyond my being busy with work, people don't always want to talk with reporters. Someone afraid of laughter is connected to Taconite Harbor? How? 
The short story is that a message was relayed to the family of one of the men I interacted with. <clears throat> the only one I've been able to identify as having any connection to Minnesota as far as the doctors have been willing to allow. His particular case history involves an obsession with Taconite Harbor. The gist of it is that he has a sister named Anna, and she is willing to speak with him. Honestly, I'm a little confused on the details myself, but uh, I think it might be best if you speak with Anna directly. Great. Did you give her my number? Uh, I'm afraid it's not that simple. She isn't willing to speak over the phone. She wants to speak with you in person. Why? She didn't say. I'll send you her email and you can ask for yourself. All right, that's quite enough from my end. Don't forget our arrangement. I'm going to want details. You'll get them. William, thanks. Was that so hard? You have no idea. I didn't really think that this woman, Anna, needed to talk with me in person. And even if she did, I really didn't have any interest in meeting with her. Yeah, William found her independently. She wasn't looking for me, but still. It's that whole trust thing. I figured that I could get at least the details out of her with a couple of emails and that'd be enough. But no. She was so damn... What's the word? Um, circumspect. Annoyingly so. She wouldn't tell me anything about her brother. She just said that she'd meet in person. At first she wanted to meet after she was done with work, but the sun sets too soon and I didn't want to be driving at night. I convinced her to meet around lunch on the weekend. She wanted to meet at Taconite Harbor. I looked it up. It's a four-hour drive from Creighton. Sunrise isn't until nearly 8 a.m. this time of year, and I told her I'd meet her at noon. It was a long drive. Even listening to podcasts couldn't fill the silence for the entire run. What? Oh, I was uh, waving at Captain Baxter. You're not waving at me, Lauren. Who are you talking to? I'm waving. You're not waving. You're digging. This is the first time I've gone any further than Bemidji since I came back to Creighton after the institution, and that's only because it's where group meets. so easy to forget how far the trees go. I mean, it feels sort of good being able to drive away from the woods, but at the same time, the woods just go on and on. I couldn't bring myself to do this before. Not to mention the fact that I'm filled with caffeine just to stay awake. But just leaving the town... All of that just to drive across the state to meet a woman I've never even spoken to? It's time. It, it has to be time. I've got too much time. Too much time to remember what happened to me. Too much time to think about Sarah. I just need to keep driving towards the sunrise. I won't say I don't care what happens to me, but it's close. 
I can't honestly imagine a scenario where any of this ends well. But I just want it to end. I think it's survivor's remorse or something. But knowing you have it doesn't mean you're any better at controlling it. It just means my guilt turns into my momentum. Sarah deserves whatever it takes. Especially if that thing is me. Finding the place wasn't as easy as I thought it'd be. I'll post a video of my walk up there. I thought I'd be more scared. But it's empty. It's not Ashbury. There was another car in the parking lot when I got there. I texted Julie the car and license plate number, letting her know where it was and that I was safe. She was mad that I didn't let her come with. She had to settle for texts and live tweets. She was looking away, towards the overgrowth on the other side of the court. I stopped about 50 feet away. I could still see my car and I was far enough from her to feel safe if things got... Well... Anna? She didn't turn around right away, and eventually looked back as if I were just someone walking through. Are you armed? What? Do you have a gun? No. I listened to your podcast yesterday. I know you have a gun. Not anymore. I haven't seen Roger since we were inside that house, looking for speakers. I heard his voice on that podcast saying that he came looking for me, but he's gone. Guys at the fire station told me that after I disappeared, he got real depressed and put in for a transfer. He hasn't been back since. And with him, as far as I know, is my gun. Her asking about it put me on edge. Did she want to know because she was scared? Or because she was packing? Reflexively, I took a step back. What are you doing? Nothing. Are you afraid of me? Yeah, pretty much. Hey, people know where I am and they know I'm here with you, so... Why'd you want to meet me out here? I wanted you to see this place. This is the place my brother became obsessed with. So why'd you want to know if I had a gun? I felt the sting of her fingers on my cheek before I realized what was happening. You son of a bitch. This is all your fault. I should have seen it in her eyes right away. I should have recognized the pain of it all. Her being there, the only reason she was there because her hate for me was stronger than her fear of the place. I get that. She refuses to stay longer, but agrees to talk at a restaurant a ways down the road called Waves of Superior. I haven't eaten during daylight hours in a long time, 
so the combination of the sounds of breakfast diners with the sun shining in through the window feels more like I was watching TV than living what everyone else in the place would have called a normal morning. Looking through the menu, I see things like ahi tuna tacos and pento box and stuff like that. It doesn't do too much to help life feel less surreal. Honestly, I could go for a good greasy burger. We order coffee and just sort of stare at each other as we wait for the waitress to return. I wait for her to talk. She just keeps the cold gaze on me until focusing her attention on the coffee. I want you to tell me everything. Everything about what? What happened to you? I listened to your podcast after that reporter started asking questions. I knew almost right away that it had something to do with my brother. I went back and checked his computer and saw your podcast was on his iTunes feed. I'm sorry. I don't know your brother, and I don't know what listening to my podcast would have had to do with whatever happened to him. Tom. Excuse me? My brother's name is Tom. We're from Oklahoma. I moved to Minnesota when I got a scholarship to St. Scholastica in Duluth. After graduation, I just stayed. Tom moved to stay with me when he lost his job. He had to get away from some stuff back home. He was a good brother, a good man. He tried so hard to get another job, but this isn't exactly the best place to be looking for work. He drove all over, Duluth, two harbors, even out as far as Hinkley or Bemidji applying for jobs. Staying with me was never supposed to be permanent, just until he got work again. Last April, I noticed things were different. He'd leave early in the morning and sometimes not be back for a day or two. He said he had friends he was crashing with to pick up some jobs off the books. He told me not to worry if he was gone for a few days at a time, even a week. It wasn't long after that when he actually was gone for a week, and then two weeks. I filed a missing persons report. Then, just like that, in June, he showed up at home again. But something was wrong. He wouldn't talk to me or the police. He just said he was sorry and that I didn't have to worry. Then, nothing. Even when the police threatened to charge him with obstruction or me with filing a false police report, he was barely there. I mean, he was there, but... I don't know, like a ghost, barely eating. After a few days, he disappeared again, but this time I was able to find him with that cell phone finder app. He was at Night Harbor, just walking around like he was looking for someone or something. I got him to come home, but he wouldn't stay there. Even when I hid his keys, he'd just start walking up 61. He refused to talk, even look at anyone. That's why I brought you there. You you had to see the place that... I'm a good sister, but I can't care for him. I found a progressive institution that could take care of him and... I'm sorry. Do you even know what it's like to care for someone who can't take care of themselves? Actually, yeah. I've listened to what happened to you. 
And if you are telling the truth, and I am sorry for what's happened to you, but somehow this is all connected to you. I don't know how it could be. You need to find out. Look, I'm sorry about- You need to find out. What was I supposed to say to her? Sorry, not my problem. Yeah, I guess that sort of would sound like something I'd say. But believe it or not, I really am trying to be a better person. Besides, something about what she said stuck with me. Um, did Tom ever say why he would go to Taconite Harbor? No. All I could get from him was that he was looking for something. I think he was looking for some place, and for some reason he got confused. Nothing in the world could have kept away the cold feeling that crawled across my skin at that moment. I didn't want to think about where he was looking for. Not that I could help it. Did you ever find out who Tom had been staying with? The police found some people who claimed to be his friends. They all had alibis for the time of his disappearance. The same goes for the businesses they tracked down who were paying him under the table. Was he sending out resumes? I assume so. Was he delivering any by hand? Probably. I mean, he was driving all over the place. Do you know where around Bemidji was going? Are you asking if he's ever been to Creighton? I guess so. I'd never even heard of Creighton before yesterday, but... Anna pulls out some money and leaves it on the table. I follow her back to her car and she takes a banker's box out of the trunk. Stacked inside are some of her brother's effects. I get the feeling that Anna prepared that part about my needing to figure out what happened to her brother. His laptop is in there. There are a lot of word docs on the desktop that are marked as resumes. The police already did their follow-ups, though. I don't know what you're looking for. Neither do I. All I care about is that you find out what happened to my brother. Then maybe the doctors will know how to make him better. If you find enclosure is your motivation, then so be it. But this is on you. I don't know how, but all of this is linked to you. And I watched Anna drive away. I just got back to the motel from meeting with her. It was a four-hour drive back to Creighton, and I haven't slept in almost a full day. But right now, sleeping isn't really my focus. As I sat down to record all this, I opened up Tom's computer and scanned the desktop. One document in particular jumped out at me. It's a document marked Northwoods Reclamation Incorporated. It's not a name that would mean anything to anyone. Especially not someone listening to this podcast because I've never said it out loud. At least not directly. It's not even a real company. And you'd never find it doing a basic search. I know I haven't. So I don't blame Anna or the police for not realizing it. I've only seen the name one other time. Northwoods Reclamation Inc. is the dummy corporation that was listed on the property records for the land my dad owned. The land he owned in Ashbury.
I just wanted to thank everyone who's already supported the podcast and those who continue to support the podcast while I was gone. I can't do this without you. To help me keep the motel lights on as I look for Sarah, please go to patreon.com slash smalltownhorror. All donors get early access to episodes and are eligible to bonus content and other rewards as my thanks to you for support. Please donate what you can to ensure the podcast and my search can go on. That's patreon.com slash smalltownhorror.